they're like a 16 point plan of exactly what we're going to talk about when they're not a 16 point plan Did you not see my responses? Judging. Oh, I didn't see that there. That thing right there. I saw these things. Those are lies. Greetings and welcome to a potentially useful TCAP Soup Podcast. My name is Larry Burden and joining me today is our own Two Sigma Problem, Danielle Brostrom and the technologist David Noller. It's part two of our three-part AI and education primer, and we're taking our diamond-tipped carbide bit and drilling down into the educational system subfloor to test its foundations for the future artificial intelligence load. But safety first. Let's don our thinking hard caps and construct this week's TCAPS loop moment of zen. Chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself. Ice cube. There we go. I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's relevant. I, that's, that's what I thought. That's my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. So to start this, start this conversation, I'd like to share um, this quote I found from um, Jay Carr, who's an educator on TikTok. Um, you can find him at Mr. Carr on the web. He said, if we don't talk about it, if we don't begin the conversation, it's going to happen anyways, and we just won't get to be part of the conversation. We just have to be forward-thinking and not fear change. So with that, let's take that next step into our AI discussion. I'm going to kind of open it up to you guys because you're the educators here. Really, what do you see as far as um, really incorporating this and how it's going to affect the classroom experience? The big thing that I've been seeing in hearing from educators across the country, um, I have attended online conference this summer, and then I'm following a bunch of educators online and seeing what they're posting on, especially uh, Instagram, frankly, is a lot of it has to do with emphasizing process over product. Now that we have AI and AI can produce things, good teaching and learning has always been about process rather than product. Submitting your paper is literally the last thing you do in a long line of processes that get you to that point. And I just had a discussion with a a librarian literally today, right before I got here, about just because you turn in a paper doesn't mean you understand how to evaluate sources. And that's one of those really big ideas that we're trying to encourage students to learn. And using AI can be an assist for our students discovering sources, then thinking about them critically, evaluating them, et cetera. But it can't replace the human interaction with the information to determine, is this useful for me? Is this reliable? Is this accurate? Does this show bias? We still have to maintain our awareness of all those possibilities, regardless of where that information comes from. So, David, what does that look like in a math classroom? Like, I, I think I think a lot of what we talk yeah. about makes sense for an ELA world, but for a math classroom, it's a little more tricky. Sure. Uh, what's it called? Wolfram Alpha has been around since 2009, I believe. And that is a website where you can go and it has all of the buttons for all of the equations and all the pieces that you need. 
you enter in any mathematical equation and it solves it for you and shows you every single step along the way. So that AI tool has been around for over a decade. Again, it comes back down to process over product. One of the examples I gave in a recent video that I made regarding this, uh, which was like a training, was if you ask students in a math class to get up and demonstrate how they solve a particular problem as a model to other students in the class, that's going to show the teacher whether or not the student understands the processes that are required to, quote, solve the problem. So while AI can provide solutions for students to get to the right answer, if we ask students in the moment to demonstrate the solution to one of these problems, we can get around that, that issue of Wolfram Alpha or any other site that will do it for you. For sure. And they still have to have base knowledge about the topic because you can't fact check something if you don't understand it. Correct. Yeah, I've been floating around in a lot of different podcasts recently to try to find more information on this and in regards to education. Salcon keeps coming up over. I've I've probably listened to 13 interviews with Salcon. And one of the things, uh, since he's kind of definitely on the forefront, not maybe not on the forefront, but he's definitely embracing this in his, um, you know, Khan Academy and Khan Mingo, this is an opportunity to build to mastery, which is really, I think, as, as we talk about process, that's really what the process of education is sure. to do, to get our students to master concepts and skills. Yep. Sometimes we have a hard time doing that because we end up thinking and or having to go end in mind. We have to get the car down the road. Yep. AI can be that teaching assistant that can fill in those gaps that we don't have time as educators to fill in. We can see them. Sometimes we just don't have time to get to them because the car has to go down the road. This could be a vital piece in the in that puzzle to allow us to not, I'm not saying let AI fill in those holes, but it can fill in some of the holes that some of the menial tasks that teachers have to do to just get the car running. Yeah, so one of the things that we can do in, in terms of using sources and reliable sources, is ask AI to generate a number of sources from peer-reviewed research articles in regard to a particular topic. Then we can ask the students to say, okay, we've, we asked AI to do this work for us. The searching out and the finding of an article is so low level. Right, we used to have to go into the filing the those card catalogs and look things up and microfiche and all that. Well, now it's so easy to to track things these things down either through a database or using AI. But then the next level, the more important level, is is this useful for me? Is it reliable? Is it accurate? Is it biased? Those questions again. So AI can provide a bridge from. I don't know how to find sources <laughs> to, okay, now I have something that at least I can work with as a starting point, and now I can apply my critical thinking to those sources, where if the block is I can't get them at all, we can't ever have that student practice those skills to start with. I had students last year for whom we used AI to help them develop an outline for their paper. They had a bunch of information, but they they just they couldn't grasp the idea of creating an outline. And instead of spending a couple hours (laughs) helping them try to understand this concept of outline, let's use AI and see what it presents for us and see how it's useful. And 
it did an okay job, but my students were like, well, I don't want that information in, in that. I want to use that over here. And I'm like... <laughs> and the alarm bells are going off and the cheering starts. And, right. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> because, again, the AI provided them with a kind of a, a framework, but they made the decisions on where on the framework to hang the, that information and where they wanted to leave something out, add something in. And these are students for whom writing does not come easily. And so this made the task, I don't want to say easier, more approachable. As soon as they started to look at the outline and make decisions about where things were going, suddenly that critical thinking that you're hoping that they grasp, they're now doing. They can now see the purpose of the outline. Yeah. yeah. Guys, this feels like an equity issue because it's you're 100%. making it accessible to the kids who struggle. It's like... Like, like training wheels on a bicycle or like giving somebody glasses. Like you you got to give people what they need. And if that's what they need to get them started, yep. of course you would do that because kids are using it at home, but not all kids are using right. it at home. So to give those in-class experiences and to um, just help kids in that way, I think makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I've brought up before in my trainings has been the equity issue even goes to the point of there are now paid AI services that are much better yeah. <laughs> than the free ones. And um, they have access to more recent information and they're trained on more data points. And that becomes an issue when you're trying to determine is our use equitable within the district? And so if it's going to be something that's out there, I feel like we have to recognize it as being something that any student can use. And so how do we make that any student use equitable in a way that's fair to everybody, including the rule followers who are going to say, well, I'm only going to do what my teacher says I can. And to the people who are like, well, this is a, a tool I can use to my benefit, so I'm going to use it. Both of those groups have to know and be able to follow a policy that is equitable for both. And I feel like what that means is we have to be able to say, you can use it in these situations or you can use it and we will consider the more critical elements of what we do with it in the classroom. Larry, you mentioned something last week and I want to circle back to it because I, I've been really thinking a lot about it over the last week. You said something about... So, David, essentially, I came in and I was all psyched because I had a bunch of cool tools I wanted to share with Larry and I wanted to share with the listeners and stuff like that. Yeah. And Larry kind of told me to essentially slow down. Like, not all these services are going to be there in six months and a year. So we need to be careful about what we're investing our time and our financial sure. and all that stuff. And I kind of, okay, whatever, Larry, and I kept on talking, but <laughs> I, I thought about it a lot and I, I think that's... That's a big thing we need to make sure we're remembering because it is easy. There's AI everywhere. There's AI and all these things. I want to jump on and latch onto this and use this and use that. But when I see something like Khan Academy coming out with one, that's definitely one I should be spending more time with because they do have a great reputation for quality things. When I see something like... Uh, randomai.com. I I, mm -hmm. I need to be careful where I'm spending my time. Sure. So, Larry, thank you for bringing that to the forefront last week. It's and the first time I want to mark this down. This 
that's the first time I've said something useful in six years uh, on this uh, podcast. Disagree. First of I, all, I might actually be potentially useful. You need like a sound. <laughs> you are potentially useful. Uh, Danielle brought that up to me the other day because we had a request for a tool to be potentially used with teachers. We're going to get hit. You I guys going to get hit so parroted what Larry told me. I, Do you see that? She did parrot it quite forcefully. And no. So, uh, and I kind of hadn't stopped to, to think about are they going to be around for a while? I, I was just thinking, this looks great. This is amazing. If it can do that, think of all the time it will save our teachers. It is an important point because we we go through these shifts in technology and everybody jumps on the bandwagon, maybe seeing dollar signs. And then six months down the road, you know, the dot com or the startup is gone. And what are you left with? Um, and so it is an important point to consider uh, who's going to be around? Who has already established themselves as a player? Are things going to last? You know, even tools within Google come and go. We don't have what's the thing name of that tool that just left? Jamboard. Jamboard Aww. just left. Jamboard. And Google is obviously Google. Google is they've made themselves a verb. Um, but so as ChatGPT, which nobody had heard of, and that was a year ago. instantaneous. I mean, nobody, but. This is related to the, to the points that you're talking about. The pace at which all this is happening. Yeah. You know, I was initially going to comment. I'm like, hey, we've always had these outliers, the people that are on the front lines or are ahead of the game on technology. And it's always, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to kind of let them do their research. And that's how we find they're in the conversation. The tools will be developed better. Yeah, they might fade away. The difference this time is that it's happening so quick that I guess for you guys and for the classroom teacher and some of those outliers that are maybe ahead of the game, what advice would you give them as far as we want you to engage in this, but maybe here's some tips on how to engage in this. And maybe that's even too much for you guys, because again, this is a year old, not even a year old. So I'm going to tell you about Danielle for a second. Oh, no. Because... Again, I was like the, hey, let's check this out. And one of the things that has become a really strong part of our technology review is the privacy policy stuff. And that mm. was pushed by Danielle years ago. And we've got a committee that meets every couple weeks. That's a high five for your podcast, Larry. That is. Edit that, that out. Edit that out. <laughs> um, and I'm feeling very supported right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. That deserved a high five. That did. Oh, I'm well, very you, you earned it. So, and that, but that's been super important to us in terms of how we review tools. And the privacy policy on this one, the policy itself looks great. But when you look at the note, when you install the extension, it says it can read and change information on all pages. And I'm like, wait, it, it can do what now? Why does it do that? Why is it asking for that? So one of the things, I still want to meet with them to see if this is a legit tool that we might be able, if it does what it does, it can really change uh, a teacher's workflow to the point where they can stop focusing on the little stuff and really focus on how can I really help the student become a better writer, become a better thinker, become a better scientist, whatever. But the first question is going to be, what does that mean? And then we also have to review, we have to engage in some sort of uh, partnership with them in order to make this happen. And I want to know what those details are. Because again, this is a new new company that I've never heard of. Maybe they're jumping in. I don't want to say money grab like to accuse them of anything, 
but maybe it's a, hey, we can make some money with this if we just offer this kind of service. I don't know. But that's an important part of that, taking a look at, at privacy, taking a look at the terms of service, what they get out of our using their product. The level of data and how that data is being oh, yeah. used is considerably different than what has been done yeah. in the past. Well, I compare it to... To Google, Google made its Google suite of products available for free to teachers a long, long time ago. Google Classroom, the Google Suite, and then they started adding a charge element for certain aspects of it. But what they also did at the time was they captured all of those growing users into Google Docs and Google the Google suite of products to where now, as adults... They don't need Microsoft. They don't need these other tools because they have Google. And they have essentially grown them into users. And now we have the verb Google, which means to look something up using a search engine. But we Google it in Google. Every major tech company, if you look at it, has focused at one point in time in their growth on the education sector. For that reason, it's really, it, that. Really, it really blows my mind. Apple started it way back in the day with like the Apple II see. Mm -hmm. Microsoft did it, grew theirs. Now Google did it, grew theirs. And I think all these AI companies are going to probably do the same because if you can get people started with it early, it's going to become a verb. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. So can I talk about some breaking news? Please do. And I'd like to throw that out to the group to discuss. Uh, yesterday, President Biden signed his first executive order targeting potential risks from artificial intelligence. The biggest impact of the EO is that it requires tech companies like Google and OpenAI to share the results of any safety tests with the government before releasing findings to the public because the White House is concerned developing AI could pose national security or health risks. Thoughts? Safety tests. What are we? I don't know what those safety tests might be. You saw Terminator 2, right? Did you read the article? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did you read the article? <laughs> I'm just This is kidding. judgmental, Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. But I think with all of the cutting AI that's coming out and the privacy concerns that we have, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think we have an election coming up, and there's already been a lot of fake news that have been produced oh, yeah. by AI. Oh, for What sure. do you guys think about the term hallucination? It's what happens when you read. That's the Talk term. That instead of fake news or lying, uh -huh. the AI lying, what they're calling it is AI hallucinations. Okay. Ooh. I yeah. understand I that. Yeah. In terms of the definition of the term, like you're experiencing something that isn't there. You're experiencing something as reality that isn't true. I can see that. Did I tell you about when I asked AI to write a biography of me? That Did was, it was this the last was this It was a hallucination. <laughs> it it what it got right was that I live in Traverse City and that I'm a teacher. And I was but it said I was born in Traverse City, which I was not. And that I got my degree from the University of Michigan, which I did not. I went to Hope College. Sorry, U of M. And that I was a mathematics teacher, which I am not, and that I was the head of the department, which I clearly am not. It was a beautiful biography. It just didn't happen to be true. It didn't mention my music. It didn't mention my family. It didn't mention... That's why, you know, even, even beyond the safety or the hallucinations, it is, I think it was actually Sal Khan. Again, I'm going to bring him up. This is like a promo for him. 
one of the things he talked about is the importance of or the uh, the skill set of being an editor. Yep. You're talking about being an editor in the sense of making critical decisions about content rather than the copywriter who looks for errors uh, or, well, which or is, how I guess to, it would be both, yeah. Or the best way to express yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that critical thinking aspect that the editor has to determine what is the best way for this to be expressed or is this worthy of mm-hmm. expression? Yeah. Oh, my friends, I got so excited because... You started talking about that, and all I could think of was that maybe grading will finally change. Instead of grading people for their errors, maybe we're grading mm-hmm. them for their critical thinking. And right, that can, that's it has a, to change. It would be great. I want to be positive. Don't be negative, Ken. I know. I want to <laughs> be. I want to be positive. Again, it's about that process. Again, I'm going to go back to a conversation I had this morning. We no longer have to worry so much about teaching spelling because we've got the tool to do it for us. Did you tell elementary teachers that? Well, I was talking to a high school librarian who just got back from an AI conference, by the way. (laughs) And it's very similar to years ago when all of a sudden there was this big panic because kids had calculators and they weren't going to have to learn math anymore, which isn't true. They still have to be able to know what the processes are how to be able to estimate to see if whatever the machine told them would be a reasonable, accurate response. There's all sorts of mathematical thinking that they have to learn, regardless of whether or not they have a machine to do the calculation. Okay, so hold up. So don't kids still need to do spelling then because they need to be able to critically think about what they're seeing? So it depends on what we mean by... Like spelling. Should they learn how to be able to spell words? I mean, And phonics? Hallelujah. Yes, they should. Sure. But when it comes down to how do I spell Wednesday or Tuesday... In a test. That's going to... You don't have to know that. It'll correct it. Tuesday is one of my words. The E before the U, the U before the E. I, I was most valuable speller in seventh grade. If they had given me Tuesday, I would have had a panic attack. Like, I went to a regional competition... <gasps> In, in like the National B. Were we at the same one? Because I was also in I'm a spelling so bee competition. I'm so older than you. Stop. <laughs> you <laughs> pretty sure he's right there. Um, this is a quote that I did find that I thought was pretty insightful based upon what we were just talking about. In looking at coverage of the kinds of writing uploaded from ChatGPT, Shelly Rodrigo, the senior writing director from the University of Arizona, uh, said it's easy to see a pattern that others have commented on. Most of it looks like something that would score well on an AP exam. Part of me is like, okay, so that potentially is a sign that the system is broken. There's at least two things going on there. The system is broken. Do we mean... Don't get fired. Just run (laughs) it. We don't get fired. I love it. Do we mean that the system... Within the AP, what the AP evaluates. Oh, there's levels here. You, you right. feel, feel free to take whatever, whichever right. one on. What it is that the AP test is evaluating is broken. Uh, Angry letters from the AP board. Can they send them? Where should they send them? Directly to, um, let's see, um, not me at uh, somebody else.com. <laughs> that, that would work. Um, we could just shift straight to your question so we all stay employed. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need to I'm do. I'm not touching this question. The interesting thing about, the other interesting thing I hear about it is that it looks like 
it looks like something that the AP would accept. And that makes me think about the formulaic standardized method of writing that we sometimes push our kids into. How many paragraphs? How long does this have to be? Well, it's five paragraphs. How many sentences per paragraph? Well, you should have topic sentence, evidence, commentary, evidence, commentary, including sentence that transitions into your next paragraph. <gasps> no, I mean, we have had this pattern for so long that, of course, AP, uh, AI is going to pick up on it and be able to produce something that looks like it would be accepted by AP. But how's the content? How's the critical thinking? How's the insight? Or is it just that it looks like? So I, I want to know more about the quote, but those are some of my concerns. That was good. Yeah. Nice job. I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> you had a question, because I, I don't think you're touching this one. You're Though though I do believe we had a, yes! <laughs> no, I, I really want to talk about some futures thinking with AI. Uh, I found some of the data. AI technology is expected to create 12 million more jobs than it is expected to replace. And jobs are anticipated to be in high demand with 97 million specialists needed in the AI industry by 2025. Two years, my friends. Uh huh. So what does that mean for our work? What does that mean for teachers? Like, I, I feel like, it, right? Yeah. I, I, okay. Schools are supposed to prepare kids for whatever's going to come next. It might be the world of work. It might be the world of academia, whatever. If we are saying we need to prepare kids for the world of work and we're not teaching them about AI, then we're not doing it correctly. End of sentence, end of story, microphone dropped. There's, a, there's another comment you have here, and I'm looking at your notes. And, oh, you're looking at my notes. <laughs> and it looks, like, it looks like something that you got from me. And I know that's not true. But this is something because that it's I, good. Well, it's because I keep saying it over and over. That he's good because I'm so good. See? That this is the least powerful AI we will ever see. I mean, okay, this is the least powerful version of AI that our kids will ever have to engage in, and we're not engaging them yet with it in a way that teaches them how to responsibly use it, or when it's good to use, or how to be critical thinkers around it. So. What happens when it gets more complicated and suddenly they're old people looking at a cell phone for the first time going, what is it that all these apps do? We have to get these kids prepared in this now before it advances to the point where they can no longer participate in an economy that requires it. So Amanda Walma from Kent ISD had a quote, the most effective manner for educators to address techno technological advancements is to teach learners the technology itself and the ethical implications that come with it. Embrace curiosity. Seek to understand AI for your student's benefit and for your own growth. You don't need to know everything, especially considering how rapidly AI evolves. Still, it's the world your students will enter. Be bold. Leverage this stuff. Our first podcast of this year, I mentioned that I thought initially I was going to be able to at my point in the point in my career, I could keep my head down and maybe miss the whole AI <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, you know, it's got a couple more years. I don't have to. I don't have to dig into this for my profession. Oh, that's funny. And I was just having a conversation today with one of my colleagues, and it was basically, I think my my job's going to change, like 
next week, I, I need to, we need to have a conversation about our workflow. Yeah. Because I'm pretty confident that in a year, it's all going to change. There's always going to be a need for a skill set, but similar to writing, that skill set is way different. And the, the process to create content is going to change and become much more rapid. So if you're, even if you're really good at what you do, be it a writer or a designer or any kind of a creator or any, or a mathematician or whatever, the expectations and needs for content is going to be so much greater because it's going to be allowed to be so much greater. So if you're thinking I can just do what I'm going to be do, what I've done, it's not going to get the job done. Right. And it also has to do with, again, back to that ability to have a critical outlook on the world that has already changed. This isn't coming. This is here. Right? And I think there's a little bit of hesitancy to jump into the instruction on it to say, you know, we'll deal with it when we really have to. You kind of have to. It's kind of time. Isn't it interesting to think about once we're talking to kids about this, and once this becomes just kind of something that we do, how are parents going to feel about getting that newsletter that was completely written by AI? And then that uh, that reading that newspaper that was completely written by AI. And if every single correspondence you get from real people is written by AI, uh-huh. where 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 do, where do you go back to that genuine connection? I'm I'm grinning a little bit because that's how I send my parent updates. Don't I, tell parents. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, I I tell it what I it's for me it's a productivity issue. I list the things that I want to be in my little newsletter home, and it writes for me a very a very polite, very professional letter home. And then I go through and I edit and I make. The editing, you're pointing at him. Yeah. You can't point on a podcast. <laughs> You've been trying to teach me that for years. You can't nod. You can't point. So I add in the things that I that I want to add. I change the things I want to change. I do add in the, sort of the personal touch. Okay. It always starts. Whenever I do this, and I use the same tool to do it every time. It's called eduade.ai. And it always starts, I hope this email finds you well. Do you delete that? Yes. <laughs> what I do is I say something like, like this week, it'll be, I hope you had a good time with the Halloween holiday. If you didn't dress up, maybe at least ate some candy. Something timely, something that fits the season, whatever it happens to be. But then in terms of making announcements about what's coming up or what we just did or what they should look for, I let the AI explain that part. And it takes me, instead of spending like 45 minutes crafting a a letter home that includes all of that detail, it takes me like five minutes. As a parent in your classroom, I would, if, if I had my kid in your classroom, I would rather you spent 45 minutes with my kid and teaching and learning them and getting them to move forward rather than just fluffy duffying an update for me. Right. 100%. Right. And I got to tell you, I've had multiple responses from parents this fall. Thank you so much for all the information. We really appreciate the weekly updates, all that same messaging. It takes time to do those. I wasn't doing them every week all the time, and certainly not to the level of detail that I'm being able to provide now. You can focus on the content, the actual content and concepts that you're trying to get into the newsletter, as opposed to, man, I'm on my fourth bullet. Yeah. Um, I am 
I'm yeah. done. I've, I've I can put something I like, like current current learning colon uh, working on vocabulary from this story, uh, writing our comparison piece. The, you know, I can just make that list and then reminders colon, and it turns it into a letter and all that stuff that I didn't want to take the time to write. It did for me. And it saves me time so that I can go do something else that's more productive or that's more impactful. I love it. Last thoughts. Last thoughts. My last thoughts. Because we've figured AI out. This I'm is gonna, clearly the end of the discussion. I'm For give, today. I want to give Danielle the final word. So I'm going to give you my, my last thought first, which is that it's time to uh, engage teachers with learning about AI so that they can then be responsible in terms of helping students understand AI to get them where they need to be. That was a perfect segue because I want to mention some tools that teachers can use to help get them ready for AI and help get their students ready for AI in the classroom. So the can this also be my tech tool of the week? First, the Common Sense AI Lesson Collection is fantastic. You know we love Common Sense Media around here. Um, their AI literacy collection for grades 6 through 12, grab-and-go lessons to help your students think critically about AI and its impact, covers things like AI chatbots, who's behind the screen, understanding AI bias, algorithms, how that bias affects our lives, facial recognition, how it's trained. They're great for doing in the classroom, but frankly, they're also good for educators who would like to learn more about AI. AIEDU.org is another one of my new favorite sites. Um, their AI snapshots and challenges are awesome. They're great for inspiring students with short and straightforward activities to spark their curiosity about AI's ethical and inner workings. Um, the challenges really offer an extended exploration, helps ignite spirit of inquiry. They're just really, really good. They also have a project dashboard that um, has a bunch of lessons that cover many AI topics and can be easily tailored to suit student needs. They are coming to Wired. We're going to do a four-session series in January and February 2024. So it will be virtual. So stay tuned. Details coming soon. But AI for EDU um, has four sessions specifically for us in our region to help us better understand AI. And then the last thing I want to talk about, the AI Summit is coming to Michigan. So McCall and Michigan Virtual are doing an opportunity on December 13th in East Lansing at the Kellogg Center. Um, and it's not really a conference. It really is a summit. So it's going to... It's going to be everyone working together to understand AI, growth momentum, understanding. They promise that the AI Summit will challenge your thinking as well as give you resources and tools to put in action in your classroom, school, district, and region now. The day is also going to include time for you to connect with like-minded colleagues that are asking and answering these same questions that we are working through about AI. I think it's going to be a phenomenal event. So that's kind of one of my don't miss um, conferences coming up. Awesome. Everything's ramping, ramping, ramping. Oh, that was earlier. Uh, ramping up. So where can you be found, Danielle? At Brostrom DA on Instagram and LinkedIn mostly. David? I can be found at David underscore Noller on Instagram. So creative. So much, so much for the technologist. Where's right. the branding, buddy? All right. Well, TCAP's loop can be found on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Slowly. Rate, review. Subscribe to the podcast 
How many stars, Danielle? Um, five. Five stars. Please give us the five stars. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Podbean, CastBox, Overcast. Bullhorn! Or wherever else you get your, your candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. Judgmental Barbie entered the room and started <laughs> pointing at people saying, did you read the article? There's a cautionary tale we should never forget. With great power comes responsibility, no regret. Ethics and privacy we must keep in sight as AI keeps evolving. It's our moral fight. Here's the rhyme about AI. Let's conclude this show. In this digital era where possibilities flow, artificial intelligence is the future's grace. Let's work together to make this world a better place.